have any of you ever had a dream where you're standing in front of people and there's a lot of people and you're about to deliver some speech? Except it doesn't really go the way that you want and it just begins like bombing terribly. And you're left there standing feeling uncomfortable, not knowing if the words that you're saying are actually connecting. If you haven't had that dream, I invite you to enter that space because we're going we're gonna to be invited into a passage today where, where one of the people in Scripture stands in front of a crowd with fear and with, with trembling. I, I don't recall what book I read about this particular passage, so this isn't my material per se, uh, but I, couldn't, I can't give credit because I don't remember which book it was. Uh, but imagine this and, and put yourself in the mind of Paul. In, and you can close your eyes if you want, uh, do whatever helps you imagine better. It starts out similar like that dream. You came to a place and found yourself in in front of a large group of people. You're aware that many of the people that you're about to speak to have differing opinions on philosophies of life, but also on religion itself. But you know your whole purpose in front of that crowd is to tell them about the best thing that has ever happened to you in your life. You're going to share about those things that, that caused your life to change forever. This isn't just some teaching or some religion to you, but it is Christ himself that you're going to speak about. As you begin with a bit of fear and trepidation, your words don't come out quite as clear as what you hoped. As you speak, you would you had thought that you would present about who Christ was and what Christ had done and how your life had forevermore been changed on that road to Emmaus. But what ended up coming out of your mouth was some jumbled up thoughts, some disjointed phrases that you didn't know even if it made sense anymore. As you continue to speak, you start seeing people reach for those Wilhelmina mints. They didn't have those there. They start shaking their heads. They they start closing their eyelids. And perhaps then your greatest fear was just experience. Mindy has an opportunity to read my sermons in advance as she gathers material for some of the the student stuff, and I received a particular text on Thursday morning that said, your opening example has my anxiety on high alert. For many people, that is an anxious thing to to stand up in front of people to to give a message, but maybe that's not your thing. Maybe your thing is, is not... Very, you're not very anxious about being in front of people. Maybe instead your fear is that one conversation with that one particular person. The, the one that you have coming up and the one that you keep practicing over and over 
and over in your head. That conversation that you want to go so well because there's a purpose for it. Maybe for some of you, you, you keep replaying the record of a conversation in the past. One one that you wish would have gone differently. One that you wish you would have said something differently or had a different posture or used a different tone. That you would have maybe changed the entire phrase of your sentence. I think if we've ever had thoughts like this, fear of of speaking of conversations or of replaying them in our head, I, I hope that this passage today will, will give you some sense of deep comfort. A deep comfort from the Spirit's work inside of you in the conversations you're in, whether they're about Christ or pointing towards Christ. So we're going to head today to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll start at the beginning of the chapter. Uh, Black Bibles, if you grab one of those, it'll be a page... 9.24. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you. I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with the demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, As it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness 
and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's where we'll stop for today. The Apostle Paul, he's in the city of Corinth. And our passage says that he came with weakness and in fear and in trembling. I wonder why he came with fear and with trembling. You know, we often look at the Apostle Paul with with some sense of awe, maybe. We, we look at all he did and all he accomplished, and, and we might be amazed that he was able to do that and experience persecution and, and issues as well, like being shipwrecked. He went on multiple missionary journeys throughout the countryside as he was planting churches, and then visiting old churches to help give them some instruction. He also wrote many of the letters that we have in the New Testament in his spare time. As he was guiding these churches, and he was writing these letters, and as he was was starting new churches, somehow he had enough time to have a second job. Or actually, it was his primary job as a, a tent maker, This guy that could do so much, have a job, start churches, guide churches, send letters to churches, somehow came in fear and trembling and weakness to the people of Corinth? I wonder why. Why why is it that he would come in this way? You know, ancient Corinth was a large and influential city in Greece. But Paul knew it was very individualistic. People had a mind of their own and they wanted to do what was on their own mind. It was also a a very divided city, even amongst the people who believed in Christ. There were many different beliefs about Christ. We hear Paul speak a little bit of this in a, a chapter earlier. ain't working. Hey, you want to go to the next slide there, uh, Hunter? But we, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. For many Jews, they, they saw the cross as a stumbling block because they believed that if someone was hung by a tree, they were cursed by God. And how could Christ be the Savior? How could Christ be the Messiah when he took upon himself this curse of being hung by a tree? They wouldn't have thought the Savior would be that way, so that would have been a stumbling block for them. That would have kept them at arm's distance of recognizing Christ as Savior. Many of the Greek backgrounds, too, they saw, they saw the cross as utter foolishness. They would consider a lot of different philosophies, and and their philosophies were all based upon reason in 
understanding and there was simply no way to understand and reason the necessity of a cross saving way for people. It was foolishness, the cross was. It was foolishness the way Christ died. In addition to the differences of those two groups, there was differences among the Christians themselves. What came to be was that people began following other individuals. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, we don't know who Chloe is, but apparently they did, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, and another says, I follow Cephas, and another says, I follow Christ. Of those first three examples, it would be like you were following a pastor, like I follow Stephen Furtick, or I follow John Piper, or I follow the late John Calvin, or I follow Steve Hull, and that is utter foolishness. You don't want to follow me. (laughs) There was quarrels about who was teaching and who was perhaps better to learn from and, and all of these different things. And into this city that was divided, divided not only in the Christian uh, sector, but divided in the Jewish area and divided in the, the, um, the Greek area as well. All these thoughts. Paul comes and he preaches a message that he says was not eloquent. We see that in verse 4. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Unlike the philosophies that would go on and, and cause people to believe by rhetorical methods, by their persuasive way of speech, It was Paul's message that he thought was rather unpersuasive. It was not with wise and persuasive words. And yet, even though he didn't use wise and persuasive words, what he did say is that there was a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The work of the Spirit was powerful because the Spirit can take those jumbled messes of phrases. The Spirit can take those words and phrases that seem incomprehensible and somehow make them deeply connect people with Christ. I think that's what's humbling for all of us anytime we get to share the good news of who Christ is, whether it's a, a sermon or whether it's uh, with kids in a classroom during the service, or whether it's you're with middle school students on Wednesday nights, or if you're gathered around the table for devotions at home. It is there each time that those are opportunities for the Spirit to speak through your words, to have them deeply connect 
with people, however they're spoken. Doesn't matter if they're eloquent or wise or stuttering or jumbled. They all are that opportunity for the message of Christ to be proclaimed. You know, sometimes, have you ever heard, you hit it out of the park, someone say that? Like, Harvey, you just did such a good job on your work. And one of the other partners is like, Harvey, you just hit that thing out of the park. You know, Steve, they say that to you. Anyone ever say that to you? You know, we have a a way sometimes of evaluating ourselves when we feel like we've done something really good, like we have hit it out of the park, we hit a home run. Well, if we look at the text, I don't think Paul would describe his method of speech that way. He would not have said, man, I, I preached that message of Christ and I hit a home run. He would more likely say, I don't know, that might have been a dribbler down to third. The thing about the, thing about the Spirit is that the Spirit can, can take those opportunities. However they come out, he can take that dribbler down to third and continue to make it connect to the mission that God has in that moment. And I think that's the beautiful and humbling thing that we have when we give that message to students or, or we are able to share with neighbors or we're in devotions with our family. That the Spirit is so powerful that we really can't screw it up. There is not really a way for us to to mess it up so badly that the Spirit will not powerfully work through that moment. Well, maybe we could say there's one way to mess it up. And that is to avoid focusing on Christ. If we look at a little bit earlier on in this uh, 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 chapter 2, verse 2, we see what what Paul's focus of his message should be and and what ours should be too. We have a a value that we live for God here, right? But also underneath that, we we say that we want to focus on who Christ is and and what he has done for us. And it it shapes every way that we live in the world. And, And Paul, in the same way, he says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. For here, when he, when he preaches the, the message of Christ, of focusing on who he is and what he did and what he did in his life, it was that opportunity, that opportunity for the Spirit to work and connect with people. And I think that's a graciousness to ourselves that we have. That, that it's not about us. It, it never has been. It never will be. It's not about how well you speak. If we head back into the Old Testament, there was a guy named Moses. Maybe you've heard about him. He complained that, oh, how can I lead the people of Israel? Because I have a speech problem. I have a speech impediment. I'm, I'm not able to do that. And God 
when he heard that excuse, did not give him a free pass. He, he didn't say, well, all right, you, you don't need to lead the people of Israel anymore. No, he, he found a way to continue to use Moses in the way that his mission had for him. In, in the same way, when we consider ourselves, there is, is not an excuse that we can come up with that, that God would say, okay, you have a free pass to declaring Christ in your life and in your sphere of influence. There's not a, a free pass for that because we must always focus on Christ and resolve nothing more than to focus on Him. To maintain that He is the primary, that He is the one that has completed all of salvation in spite of who we are. And, and when we preach that, that's a, a message that isn't really preached or taught by human words, but it is a message that is taught and received by the power of the Spirit in your life and the power of the Spirit bringing about understanding in the life of the individual we are discipling, evangelizing, whatever you would like to call that. And we would do it in a way where they would not say, I follow Steve, I, I follow Dave, I follow Don. We would do it in a way where we would we would not expect that person to say, I follow Vicky or Shelly or Josie. We would do it in a way where people would say, I follow, I follow Christ and, and what Christ has for me. A message not taught by human words, but taught by spirit-given words. And it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing when we recognize our position and, and like Paul are willing to go into conversations with fear and trembling and, and weakness and allow the Spirit's power to be shown in that conversation. It's also beautiful because back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Himself said that he Himself, I will build the church. And it is Christ who is building the church by way of the Spirit's work in your life and the Spirit's work in understanding the message. You know, I think, I think today is an opportunity as, as we are in uh, this, this day of celebrating Pentecost that we can consider the scope of the Spirit's work here in this day. That we can consider how is it that the Spirit has been speaking Spirit-led words through humans, ourselves included. I think we could see it as, as you walk out later today, as you walk out later this morning, look to your left. There is this missionary wall. Pictures of people and organizations that we support. And, and you can see the work of the Spirit there. You can, you can see it in the names that are there, Stan and Bessie Cruz, as, as they were imparting Spirit-taught 
wisdom in the Philippines, having Christ as their Savior and preaching Christ as their Savior. We, we see it, and I don't know if Joshua's name is up there yet, but we see it in Joshua Jiang. As, as in two weeks, he and his family, Emily and Annika with him, will be moving to South Korea to preach the good news of Christ, to impart spirit-led wisdom in his context. We see it too in Joel and Haley Altena and Michael Teasinga and Cody Zeiderveen as, as they bring the message of Christ, that, that spirit-taught message to the students at campuses in Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids and in Lithuania. We see it in small conversations that happen before, before people go out in the mission field. As some small prompting that someone shares causes an individual to think, maybe I need to serve the Lord in missions. Maybe, maybe I need to, to leave my home and my country and the people I know to, to go serve God in a different area. I think one of the things that we often hear when we consider missions or evangelism or leading people to Christ, whatever you want to want to call about it, uh, one of the things we hear is excuses a lot. Like, you know, Garrett, I know God called you to be a missionary, and you, Ruth, God called you to be a missionary for many years in Japan and in the Philippines, but he didn't call me to do that. Right, we hear excuses like that, or, or, or we we think, well, in order to in order to really bring someone to Christ, I really need to have it all together. I gotta I gotta make sure I have everything together. I gotta make sure I have my family in order and my personal life in order and everything in its right place. And then and then once I once I hit that point, then then I, then I can do it. Or, or. I need to know more about the Bible. I need to know everything there is to know about Scripture. Otherwise, I won't be able to answer the questions that might come up, and I, and I won't be able to fully represent who Christ is well. So I, I just can't go do that yet. I need to know, I need to know more. As much as we, we think maybe we're not called to missions, or we don't know enough, or we don't have our ducks in a row, the truth is that None of those things, none of those excuses matter. Because what we are called to do is, is not impart a human wisdom from our own understanding of Scripture. What we're to do is to not impart a human wisdom from the way that we know how to get ducks in a row. We're, we're not supposed to impart a a human wisdom based on a calling we derive from ourselves. Instead, Christ calls each and every one of us. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that's a calling that everyone takes on, not just the missionaries, not just the pastors, not just those who are elders or deacons, but every single 
person that as we join, a, join with the Spirit, we join Him on a journey imparting Spirit-led knowledge, Spirit-led wisdom everywhere we go. You know, the, the truth of bringing someone to Christ, the truth of evangelism is, and really the truth of teaching in general, is that you only need to be just a little bit ahead of the person you're teaching. You just need to maybe know just a little bit more. And if someone doesn't know anything, and you know Christ, you know enough. If we go back to who Paul was, Paul, he was this missionary, he was this church planter, he was this this church guider, this person who brought many people to Christ. And when he started his missionary journeys, he had been a Christian maybe, what, two years? Maybe, maybe three. You don't need to know everything because the Spirit will empower you for the task He has in front of you. We see, we see it in our lives, not just on the missionary wall, but when you, when you go out into those classrooms. When you head into the nursery imparting a Spirit-given truth a spirit-given knowledge that even the littlest children among us that don't understand English very well, that really can't speak for themselves, you impart a spirit-level knowledge when you show them the love of Christ. As you care for them, as you select a book out of the stack to read them a story of who Christ is and what He has done for them. The Spirit level, the Spirit truth, right then and there at their level. We see it too as, as you gather with any number of these kids on Sunday or on Sunday afternoon or on Wednesday or whenever it happens to be as, as you speak the stories of Christ and the stories of Scripture in a way for them to understand a, a spirit truth, spirit-taught words to the adolescents within our church. But that those spirit-taught words don't just stay here in this building. The, the Spirit doesn't somehow leave you when you walk out the door the Spirit continues on as, as you head into your neighborhoods and the spaces in which you frequent, your, your workplaces, your schools, which kids are glad that they're not entering into much more this year. As you enter into friends' homes or as you meet with coworkers in the break room, opportunities abound to bear witness to Christ, to impart Spirit-given truth and Spirit-given values in the way that you live and how you speak. That's what we celebrate this morning. The Spirit-given truth that each of us has received, the knowledge that says that Jesus Christ, it was Him who crucified, it was him who died and it was Him who rose again that we would have life and that we would have life to the full. 
That it wouldn't be this subpar life, but that our life would be one where we would experience fullness and joy and, and we would be able to give compassion. We would live in humility. That we would be able to live and, and show God's love, even just the smallest portion of it, to the people that we interact with and the children that we teach. It's that saving knowledge of Him that causes us to desire to to seek His will, to, to join in His mission, to make disciples of all nations, to to join in the mission of the church, which is here to live for God, to love our neighbors, and to lead people to Christ, knowing that it is the Spirit who works through you on both ends, not only by giving the words, but also by causing understanding in those we speak with. And we have the joy of celebrating what we know about Christ here as we, as we enter into a time of worship by way of the table of Christ. As we enter a time of worship by being invited to the table, to communion by Christ Himself, by way of the power of the Spirit. So let us pray. Lord, we thank You for this message that says we don't need to know everything. This message that says we don't have to have our ducks in a row. In fact, Lord, the more perhaps our ducks are out of the row, the, the more it speaks to your grace and your mercy that comes to our life. The more it speaks to your power and the more it speaks to our weakness and our reliance upon you. Cause us in our life, Lord, to be bold. To, to sense those opportunities where your spirit speaks to us and, and speaks a word of of knowledge, perhaps, a, a word that you desire to speak to someone and, and to, to, to speak it, Lord. To, to trust in your Spirit that, yes, you will guide us and you will cause us to know what to say at the right moment. And that you will use those moments, those jumbled up words, those disjointed uh, uh, phrases and use them for your glory as you create understanding of Christ every place that we go. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.